Hi, welcome to Breaking Brave. I'm Marilyn Barefoot. By the way, if you love what we're doing with Breaking Brave, you can subscribe. Just go to my website, marilynbarefoot.com, and hit the subscribe button. It would mean a lot to me if you did. Today's guest is Peter Neal of Neal Brothers Foods. Peter takes us on the journey of starting his business from his mom's kitchen, baking croutons, to building a multi-million dollar food business. Peter, like all entrepreneurs, has faced some incredible highs and some desolate lows, and recently has clawed himself back from the edge of a very serious mental health crisis. So I wanted to give you a warning that we do get into some tough conversations, but I think it's these conversations about that tough stuff that makes this episode so inspiring and so uplifting because it gave me incredible hope And I think it will help people. And the more we talk about it openly, the more the stigma goes away. And so, Peter, in advance, I thank you for your openness and your honesty and for joining us today. Please welcome Mr. Peter Neal. So I am thrilled beyond thrilled to welcome Peter Neal of Neal Brothers Foods to Breaking Brave today. I am a fan, a super fan a customer, and a client. And I, I'd i like to start with how we met Peter, which is I was dressed up like a fool, um, looking like Steve Harvey, doing a family feud-ish kind of game show at a cannabis summit. Um, we had the family feud between the Escobar and the Guzman family, and you were my first volunteer and my most passionate guest in terms of being a participant in the game show. So welcome, Peter. It's an honor to be here. I'm happy I'm not here as Pablo Escobar. Um, it's <laughs> nice. <laughs> no, Pablo and Peter are very similar, I guess. But uh, no, it, that was a lot of fun. I loved your energy. And there was a nice instant connection between us. And uh, wow, how fun to be back again today. And I hopefully don't have to ask uh, answer any skill testing questions today. No, I promise. Oh, gosh. Thank goodness. <laughs> it's Friday. You and your brother, Chris, started this business in your mom's kitchen in Aurora making croutons. And I'm old enough to remember, because I'm older than you, buying those very special croutons at David's Fine Foods on Avenue Road (laughs) only and only when we had a dinner party because I was so trying to impress my guests with your croutons. (laughs) Why croutons, Peter? Why did it start with croutons? You know, I had a uh, economics teacher uh, who always stressed the KISS principle um, to, uh, there was just, you know, his calling card, keep it simple, stupid. And that worked for um, this litmus test that we wanted to do, my brother and I, you know, in the late 80s, some of these small cottage type uh, food companies were starting up. Uh, one of them was Cape Cod Chips down in Massachusetts. And I thought that, that uh, the story of Steve Bernard, the founder, who became a friend and a mentor, um, I just thought he's such a, a wonderful guy, great energy, great spirit. He seemed to be loving and doing what he was doing. And he was taking, you know, at the time, just, you know, pedestrian sort of flat chips that Frito-Lay would be doing. And, and he was he was um, doing something special. This was before Miss Vicky's. And we thought, mm. man, what a, what a fun idea. I love to cook. Chris, Chris enjoys food. We, we always made our own homemade croutons. We cooked with my mom a lot. I, I started off at a young age cooking with a mom. And we thought, you know, I'm finishing um, university another year. So I was just finishing up second year. And Chris had just finished up. And I was at Bishop's University. And Chris has just 
had just finished up at Queen's University. Um, and I said, you know, why don't, I've got this idea. Why don't we start a, a company? You're good at ABC. I'm good at XYZ. And literally the opposite side of the spectrum <laughs> of the, the alphabet. Now that's and, great. That's the yin and yang. That's what you need in a business, right? You can't both be the same, good at the same thing. No, completely. Uh, you know, it's like uh, a marriage, really, you know. Um, mm. Odd to think I'm married to my older brother, but uh, <laughs> it's it, that, it's working. That, so let's it, not question it's it. Worked <laughs> and it's been fun. Um, and we thought, okay, um, there's nothing on the market like these right now. So we decided to use the KISS principle, keep it simple, stupid. Uh, and we thought at the time people were starting to trade up in their food choices. Um, salads, people making their own salads and, and higher and salad dressings. Renee's had launched at the time and you know, it wasn't just bottled ambient temperature um, CPG salad dressing sitting craft. in the middle aisle. Yeah, there was, there was, there was, <laughs> yeah, craft. There were, um, people were making, you know, refrigerated fresh gourmet salad dressing. So we thought, hey, you know, why don't we do a fresh gourmet crouton to match? And it, the, the barriers to entry are super low. Bake some bread, toast it up and put it in a bag. And, and, and that's literally what we did. My mom wrote the, hand wrote the labels. She has beautiful oh. writing. She was a teacher. And uh, she would, you know, we would all stick the labels onto these little bags that we would buy. And, and then we, um, you know, we got up to the point in about a year and a half where we were semi-automated, you know, with, uh, you know, we had a bit of a conveyor system and, a, you know, uh, we had a massive oven that would hold 36 trays of, of, of bread. And my gosh, my, Chris and I were making 100, 200 loaves of bread a day, cutting, slicing, seasoning and bagging, um, and we would do that for 20 hours uh, uh, some some days. It was it was seven days a week. It was crazy. So I take it, Peter, that the 36 trays, if I've got that number right, um, were not in your mom's kitchen anymore. We're, we've gone somewhere else. You know what? After um, probably a few weeks, really, it lasted maybe um, six or eight weeks. Um, and I think my dad would come home from work. He'd get off the train in Aurora and uh, he wanted a, a, a cold martini. He didn't want the smell of croutons. So... Uh, we quickly realized <laughs> we needed to find a new home. He was incredibly patient. My mom was amazing. They're all both so supportive. Um, they had these, you know, two stinky, you know, crouton seasoning boys coming home every day covered in oil, and they were so good about <laughs> it. But we, um, we, you know, I think one of the things you need to do as an entrepreneur is be scrappy. We hear more and more of that word scrappy, uh, and you know, uh, it's we knew we needed to find a way. We needed to get out of the. Uh, kitchen. And so we just went knocking on doors. We went to a bunch of different uh, folks who we thought who would have complimentary equipment, you know, a, a catering hall. Uh, uh, we, we ended up at this bakery and this gentleman was amazing. This Irishman named Patrick Lockname. He said, boys, sound, you sound like, you seem like good boys. Uh, I'll charge you $10 an hour. And here's the keys on the first time meeting him. And he said, wow. you, you, you can come in after uh, four o'clock in the afternoon when I'm done and you can bake until I'm back in here at six in the morning. And we, those were, so our this hours. was an all nighter type of situation. Yeah. You know, I'd worked in a plastics factory, um, one well, the summer before that, in a, it was, you know, some nights it was mold injection. It was incredibly hot and awful. And we worked the midnight shift. That was, uh, an awful shift to do, but you know, I thought, my goodness, I'm back at it again, but this is for me. And it totally changed it. And there were nights when Chris and I were sleeping on, um, literally on, on big bags of flour 
Uh, we were just so, so, so killed by it all. But, um, you know, it was, uh, those are amazing memories. In fact, my brother today, um, or just recently, sorry, uh, posted uh, uh, a shot of us uh, uh, in, in those early days in the, in the bakery. I've got to go check it out. That's amazing. I understand too that the the next logical jump for you after making it big in the croutons category was the chips and salsa. So what inspired the chips and salsa piece to come next? You know, we've seen a, uh, uh, I think there was a piece on a U.S. and a Canadian um, grocery magazine back in 1991 saying that Mexican foods were on the rise, um, ethnic, mm. ethnic slash me- Mexican foods. And at the time, there were uh, just the only tortilla chips that were plain were in a big bag and they were, you know, like cardboard and they were in the ethnic section. Um, yeah. uh, there was no one that had chips on on the regular mainstream aisle. So we found a producer, this great Mexican, uh, newly arrived to Canada, Mexican uh, family, and they uh, started making stone ground corn chips from uh, Ontario corn, and they were able to, to source organic blue corn. So it was, wasn't too long after that we found someone to produce our, our salsas, a great family company, uh, just in right in Toronto. Um, so we had tortillas and salsa, and uh, and we also worked with a, a gentleman a couple of years later after that in, in Toronto as well to make uh, potato chips for us. So uh, we knew that we couldn't just get by on croutons alone. <laughs> So we had to, we had to build up <laughs> too much of a narrow market there. Absolutely. So, yeah. It was becoming really crummy, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, and you start to quickly realize as well that um, distribution is a very tough game. So uh, we could, we didn't think we could afford to distribute at the time. Um, there weren't a lot of people doing natural specialty uh, and then organic at, back in the day. Um, mm-hmm. So we thought, well, we, we, we're going to have to be our own distributor and and we can't just drive to a store and drop off a box of croutons. We need more product. We needed to make those um, deliveries and that distribution channel work for us. So uh, we just continued to add items. And then we became uh, within a year of that, a distributor for other people's product. And funny enough, within the next couple of years, we became distributors for that product that first inspired me, Cape Cod potato chips. And we brought those into Canada. So it's like the universe delivers this guy that I forget his name. I'm sorry, you mentioned it earlier, who was your kind of an inspiring type of guy down in Massachusetts that was producing Cape Cod. And now, look, you're kind of partnering with him from a distribution perspective. We did 100%. We did. And we became good friends. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. How did your retailers react to you now getting into chips, to getting into salsa, to getting into the distribution game with um, Cape Cod chips, were they, did they welcome you with open arms or was there a little bit of pushback? What's the story? You know, they were, I, I'd say there's some pushback when we first started going out and selling croutons. And, uh, you know, a lot of the world that we were selling to at the time was, um, you know, male dominated and, mm-hmm. um, while it was food, it wasn't necessarily always uh, sort of friendly or open to a couple of white guys coming in with college degrees selling croutons that just seemed incongruous a little bit to, to a few of these guys. Like, oh, come on, what are you doing? Uh, bringing uh, croutons? Are you making these yourself? Oh, my goodness. Yep, I get it. But you know what? Um, I think we were able to win them over and show them that we were straight up, uh, genuine, nice, good guys. And um, we were consistent. We kept coming back. So... For an independent retailer then and now, 
to be able to have uh, a food brand that is different, that is unique, that sets them apart, right? You, you can walk into these monolith stores, these big boxes, and it's all the same stuff always, or it was back in the day. Um, yeah. So we were giving them something, quote unquote, gourmet and specialty. And, and gourmet and specialty, as you would remember, David would find shops, find food shops in the Pusateries. That world was, um, that, and that world is still around, but it's morphed into natural and organic. So, so back in the day, it was, um, you know, it was mainly specialty food shops and they were very welcoming and they, they were supportive and we gave them something a little bit different than what they had. And, um, that network just continued to grow through the nineties for us, but never into the, the, the big chains, you know, we would approach a, a, an AMP Dominion, if you remember at the time, not Metro, but, uh, Uh, yeah. (laughs) And and they looked at, looked at us like we had three heads uh, and they would, they would say, well, you, you know, we'll, we'll give it a try. Um, and here's a $30,000 listing fee. And that uh. was, yeah. And you're not going to make that back on croutons. So, or chips. And, and so we, we just, we waited, you know, it was year after year after year of working with smaller retails in a small area. Um, you know, we, we didn't have any money. Uh, when I proposed to my wife, uh, I had a I had a ring that I couldn't afford. In fact, um, I got uh, a ring from Burks. It was fifteen hundred dollars. I put seven hundred fifty dollars down. I had three payments of two hundred fifty, and I defaulted on the last one. So for oh. a long time, the, our credit cards were in my wife's name. <laughs> that, that's literally how to the bone we were. You know, we had enough money for my wife and I had enough money for rent. We had enough money to do a couple of things, but you know, not you know anything extravagant no certainly not right. go for dinner or buy a bottle of wine or do those things i mean we were just you know i was making six thousand or sixty five hundred dollars a year for a number of years in the, in the early 90s when a lot of my friends were you know building careers and you know um, making more and more money and buying homes and it was uh those were more the happiest years of my life those were those were challenges they were tough absolutely now did you did you have or have one, or did you have a hundred a day? I don't know. Turn back moments is what I would call them, because actually that's a Steve Harvey term. He's done a he's done a um, a video recently where he talked about how he broke into comedy, and he had so many turn back moments where it was just like, "That's it, I'm going to throw in the towel and just go do what the other people are doing." Did you did you have those, Peter? Oh, for sure, I did. You know, whether it was coming home from a long day delivering product, um, and you know. A miserable day out on the road, fighting traffic in our in my truck, and dealing with a an angry um, receiver at the back of a of a grocery store, and just not feeling good about myself. Um, and and I remember one day I was out and uh, I was on my hands and knees, literally uh, trying to put stickers, price stickers on on our tortilla chips in the winter time when those when that plastic's cold and the and the and, and your price gun would jam up and anyway I was just I was not having a good day I was covered in, in sort of dirt and mud from slush from people walking around the store and some guy looked and he says is that you Peter Deal I looked up and he was wearing a really nice suit and it was a guy I'd graduated with and uh, I, I knew he was very successful and he, he just looked at me and says how's your little crouton company coming and I just I just wanted to I just wanted to melt. <laughs> And I got home that like, night. Like, just have the floor open up where I'm sitting right now and swallow me up because right. I don't want to deal with you in your $1,000 suit. Right. But, you know, I also had in the, uh, in, on the visor of my, of my delivery van, you know, as I, you know, I'd fold it down, I had this thing written on a piece of paper and, you know, literally tape. And it just said a million dollars or bust. 
and, uh, you know, keep the drive alive. And it was just something that I would see every once in a while and it would, it would rekindle. And, you know, sometimes I'd, I'd swap a case of, of um, product for some flowers and I'd bring them home to my wife and, and celebrate those little moments, you know, if I'd had a good day. So it's a lot of bravery, Peter. I, <laughs> Maybe, maybe not at the time, maybe at the time when we're doing it, it doesn't feel like it, but there's a passion there and there's a lot of bravery driving it. You know, maybe your goal was not a thousand dollar suit, but you got to kind of look at that and go, Christ, that's got to be easier than what I'm doing right now. Oh, for sure. You know, and I, I, I would say there's a few things that, uh, equal measures of, um, uh, blind ignorance, uh, naivete and tenacity that really, <laughs> Uh, and, a, and you know what, an incredibly optimistic and, and positive pr- personality. It's just, I, I was blessed with that. So um, that kept us going. And, you know, the support of my wife, Lara, and, and my parents and, and Chris's wife, Wendy, and um, one or two staff at the time, it just started uh, really, you know, hitting home that, not hitting home, it really, it really helped to build up an incredibly sound foundation. You know, you had people believing you and supporting mm-hmm. you and keeping you keeping you positive when you're down. And, you know, I think every entrepreneur needs that in, in massive doses. Um, and today, you know, it, it, back in the day, obviously we didn't have uh, any of these wonderful, marvelous technological connection things. Uh, and I think today, you know, you got things like clubhouse and you've got uh, a, a whole lot of different social networks whereby you can reach out and you can text and call and, and get someone on LinkedIn and I mean, all the things you couldn't do. So the, the, the availability of mentorship uh, and support and community, uh, we, I, I, we, I don't remember entrepreneurship the way it was. In fact, in the, in the back in the day, my brother and I helped with four other start young entrepreneurs association of Ontario. And, and we did that because we just didn't see anything. We didn't see anyone around us. Um, it was a very small world of, of, uh, of entrepreneurs. So yeah. um, I, I think, yeah, the support is huge. Community is huge. And I think anyone looking to um, engage in, in entrepreneurship or maybe is uh, having some of those days that we just talked about, those what if and where am I going and what the hell is this all about? Um, open those doors, reach out. Um, make those connections, ask those questions, ask for support and help. Uh, I've probably sat down with 250 or 300 over the last 10 or 15 years of, of people who um, were aspiring entrepreneurs. And, and I know it helps. I know it makes a difference. It helped me to help others. So I know I'm sure it help, I hope it helps those that I speak with. I also read, Peter, that you and your brother, Chris, have always since a young age been a, a big volunteers. Like, volunteering, I think Royal Winter Fair, Board of Directors for Big Brothers. You guys were doing a number of things. And obviously, and we'll get into this in a few minutes, but the volunteerism piece of your life, where did that come from? Did it come from your parents? Or was it just the two of you guys who decided that it was important to give back? Yeah, so mom and dad were involved in all sorts of stuff growing up. Um, whether, you know, my dad was one of a few guys who helped start um a festival in Unionville to, to, to prevent uh, the main, main street becoming a highway and being destroyed. So as, oh, as wow. young kids, um, you know, we were out helping with that parade and helping out with the festival and, and doing those things. So we were, you know, we were, we were hands on. We weren't just watching my parents do it. Uh, and whether it was their church or the hospital, they were always, they were, they were, I'd say three, four nights a week, at least they, one of them or both of them were out. Uh, and they were at, 
you know, meetings. They're busy helping and building and doing all sorts of neat things. So, yeah, it was instilled in us for sure. Uh, and we loved to see, we loved the sense of community that it brought. It was, they were fun things to do. Um, and, and I think both being empaths, my brother and I, you know, still cry at certain Hallmark commercials or, you know, what have you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's, um, so I think, I think being an empath, you know, that kind of lends itself to it and having seen that and seeing that the, um, all the wonderful things that come as a, a result of being involved in the community um, and giving back and building. And it's, yeah, it's been super important to both my brother and I. Peter, I want to go to distribution. After you started getting into the distribution business with Cape Cod Chips, then more and more products you brought to the fray. So like up to 50 different products, one of which was Kicking Horse Coffee, I think. So I wondered if we could chat about the whole, not only Neil Brothers Foods, but now it's like Neil Brothers Foods distribution is a big piece of what you're doing. Yeah, it's um, yeah. typically we would have uh, over the last 15, 20 years, we would have about 50 different brands from um, mainly North America, some that we'd bring in from overseas, uh, different parts of Europe. Uh, and, you know, that that became an important part because it was the the quickest and easiest way to scale up our, our revenue and build our company um, through other people's brands. And we enjoyed it. We enjoyed working with sometimes um, really small companies, maybe some of the people I had helped and mentored with an idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. And help them be, be a, their, you know, a successful part of their business and, and help them get to market and help them tell, help, help them to tell their story to retailers. And those have been so fun. I mean, uh, just, just, but everyone we've worked with, we've worked with not just because we thought the company was good and that the revenue would be there and would grow fast, but, you know, let's face it, when you're dealing with, with anyone in business, um, you're spending a, a fair bit of time with them. You better like them. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's yeah. so important to, to Chris and I has always been, um, you know, finding the right people. Um, so Kicking Horse was an 18 year long relationship and ended up being such a big slash 45% of your entire revenue base. And then things changed with you and with Kicking Horse. Nothing you guys did wrong was, I think the company was sold and then they went to a different distribution um, network. Yes, correct. And this was before COVID hit. So was it late 2019-ish that that happened? Uh, Well, uh, the the ownership came to us uh, actually just a few days before Christmas um uh, okay. of 2019 oh, yeah and asked us to uh to tell our team um chris and i chose not to we, we thought we'd at least let them get through the christmas holidays it was already uh, a tough one for us to hear you know it's business is business and hey lots of respect for them and how they built their company and it, you know they, they 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 built some good good stuff that's for sure um and and we super proud forever to to say that we were a major part of it you know when we first started selling their coffee and for the first 15 years they didn't have a sales team and they didn't have really didn't have much in the way of marketing so um we were that side to it so i can you know my brother and i can proudly say along with our team that we um yeah we really helped that company build so yeah we um it 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 was nerve-wracking for sure when when a brand gets to that size uh and that percentage of your business but yeah we're um we rallied with our team and it, it did, it became a central rallying point for all of us. Um, and our teams worked really hard. Um, you know, we fortunately had an uptick through COVID because more people than ever were at home. 
um, and in, and in Canada. Um, and you know, they were buying food and cooking at home. So, uh, we've been okay. We've been completely okay. So, and we'll be launching our own coffee soon. You know, we've been 18 years, uh, of working with a coffee company. We've, we, we, we all, we've known so much about coffee because, um, because of that relationship and because we're aficionados and we love it. And we've got, we've surrounded ourselves with so many amazing people in coffee, um, that, uh, yeah, you know, we we took everything that we knew and loved about coffee and our experience with it, and um, we've been working for gosh a year and a half now, um, putting together what we think is going to be um, an incredible coffee that will delight Canadians. That's such great news because your brand, speaking as a consumer and a super fan, people will absolutely. I mean, it's always in my marketing background. What does the consumer give permission for the brand to do? And definitely you've got that runway. People will absolutely flock to it. And the name is that our name is small on the back of the package. It's not Neil Brothers branded. Um, and, and I could tell you the name of the brand, but then I'd have to you know, do something nasty to you. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't I don't want to go through that on a Friday afternoon. No. So maybe I'll just I'll just shut up and not ask, but I'm excited when when do you kind of think it might be out in the big world? Let's say sometime uh before September. Nice. Yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations on whatever it is called. I'm sure it will be a huge success. Um I would love to if you're open to it discuss what you were very open about, because I've been following you on Instagram, Facebook, all the great social channels for a long time since we met, that prior to COVID, you found yourself in a fairly deep depression. Yes. And was it evident to you, Peter? And if, if there's questions in here you don't want to answer, you just tell me, we'll edit them out, whatever. And I just would like to talk to you about that, because... Certainly on my own, of my own, I've, I've, I've struggled for many, many, many years with that same issue. Um, so I'm hoping that maybe some of this conversation could be helpful to people who are listening. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about any and all of it, really, truly. Okay. When I started to see your posts, I thought, well, this is COVID-related, but it seemed like it happened before COVID. Yeah, you know, um, a lot of things had been happening in my life at the time. So go back to probably 2017, 2018. Mm -hmm. um, I, I was becoming busier and busier, taking on more things, um, flying from here to there and in and out of trade shows. And um, I was busy um, and I was, um, and that felt good to me. Um, I, I'm sure diagnosis would show ADHD and all sorts of stuff. Um, so planning and being feeling and looking busy and, you know, um, was, was, uh, as much as really being busy and uh, I just need to be on the go. I need to be go, go, go. Uh, so, right. Uh, I, I, my brother and I had agreed to a, a deal with a cannabis company at the time to be the edible side of their business. Um, and I really walked away from Neil Brothers for about a year. It was almost like a you know a sabbatical into in, in, into cannabis edibles, and that was a wild, wild time in history, as you can imagine. So yeah, yes. And this is how we met at the cannabis conference to start off with. Yes, for sure. So 2018 and uh, October 17th, right? Um, legalization day, and uh, as that year progressed, um, you know, the company I was with had been. Uh, 
purchased and, and we were left in limbo for about six months. And for me, that was difficult because I had given up what I was doing at Neil Brothers. Um, I had hired a few people to help ensure and that the company was going well. So um, it wasn't as if I was going to just necessarily jump in, reinsert myself into the business, uh, into Neil Brothers. At the same time, if I did, and suddenly, you know, within a, a day or two or a week or so, I had to you know, crank up the um, cannabis side of things again. Uh, I need to be on. I need to be ready for that. So I was really floating in a strange little limbo. I was back and forth trying to figure out what cannabis was going to look like, and I was occasionally checking in, figuring out what Neil Brothers was doing. Um, and then at the same time, uh, we had a daughter who was in a, a twenty-month um, uh, residential mental health program. Um, and mm-hmm. we were very, very involved in that every week. And we were, um, I don't know, 30 to 40 hours a month in, in therapy with her. And mm-hmm. that was taxing. Yes. And I was still flying around and, uh, <laughs> um, gosh, a, a, a dear friend had um, succumbed to mental health herself uh, in April of 2019. Mm-hmm. And um, that was um horrible uh, it just shook our family and our community um and then in the fall of 2019 in uh actually the first week of september um i had a premonition that our biggest distribution um our, our, the, the partner we were working with the coffee company i mentioned at a, a, a strange premonition they were going to leave us um i also had this crazy premonition that um uh, something catastrophic, something was going to happen to all of us uh, on earth. Um, and honestly, at the time I thought it was an asteroid or, um, you know, something was going to happen or uh, some, you know, someone was going to drop a bomb. I don't know. I had no idea it was going to be COVID, but um, right. You know, and then of course, by early December that, you know, that, that premonition of kicking horse did happen. Um, and, and they did tell us they were leaving. So it, it was tough. It, it and, and I think by the 15th of September, um, I just, uh, I felt myself falling down and um, I stopped sleeping and stopped eating. Um, I lost 20 pounds in um, two weeks, which wasn't healthy. Not sleeping is not healthy. Uh, and I uh, succumbed to mental health. Uh, I became very, very sick. I was delusional. Um, I was scared. Um I'd go to the office and sit in my office and, and no one needed me because <laughs> yeah. Okay. Cause yeah. I'd been out for a while. Um, yeah. Yeah. You'd stepped away. And so now there's nothing for you to do. I'm, I'm not, I don't belong here. Right. And day after day, it got worse and worse. And I, I, I would think people were following me home at night. Literally I would be taking different routes and pulling into parking lots and, you know, uh, I would be disconnecting my phone. Uh, I thought um, I thought I was going to be arrested and put in jail for something. I don't remember what it was. I had my brother said has told me that at some point in time when I'm ready, he'll remind me of all the things. And I said I don't know. I actually, don't know if I want to hear them. It's okay. Uh, yeah. I just know I, yeah. whatever it was, it wasn't me. I was sick and I was hopeless and helpless. And I could hear voices. I could hear people telling me, you know, the you know what you're talking about is not quote-unquote crazy but you know it's quote-unquote crazy <laughs> it's, uh, you yeah. know you're not thinking straight you're not you and you know that's you know they, they say you can't rationalize with an irrational brain and, and certainly that was the c- condition i was in and it's something i hope we continue to uh, as a society work towards a better understanding of that not only that i i was ashamed i was scared um yes. I, was, I was as much scared as i was ashamed 
Um, but, you know, we sold our home, didn't need to do that. Um, we unloaded a whole lot of what we owned. Uh, I'd say an eighth of it we gave away. Um, uh, my wife went and bought a, a home. Like, I, I, I don't remember what it was. I didn't, I didn't see the house. Uh, and I was, um, you know, I spent two to three weeks on absolutely very serious ideation of suicide. Um, um, Peter, I'm so sorry. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I think I, I hope sharing this, it, you know, and, and the truth uh, and the yes. severity of it will, you know, hopefully ring true for someone who's helping someone or going through something themselves. But yes, you know, I, I remember a, a really dark morning I, uh, in November. I uh, went down to the basement on a Saturday morning and went through my insurance papers, make sure I was covered for life insurance, and. Uh, wrapped something around my neck and was trying to find places in my basement. And um, as I sat there choking, um, the memory of what happened to my friend who took her life um, just shattered through me. Uh, I swear yeah. she spoke to me. Uh, she she was there for you somehow, yeah? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's just hit home right now. Um, yeah, it was, uh, oh, sorry, just a little choked up. But um, no, of course, Peter. I'm, I'm. It's powerful, right? I don't talk about it a lot, so and I don't, but I don't mind talking about it. And I'm, I told you I was fine with it. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, it was it was it was an incredibly tough time. Thank you for sharing it. And 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 how how did you crawl out of that, Peter? Like, was it a, a family member, or a friend? Did did you how when you're at the depths of that, do you come back? Who who helped you? How did you get help? Well, it's amazing. Like I, I remember I, I'd go shopping at, um, at at midnight, so I wouldn't see anybody, and I'd be looking for the day old and and the cheapest stuff I could find. Um, when I when I actually, you know, it's not like I felt like eating. I just knew I needed to eat something. Um, right. And yeah, my I went to see my doctor, amazing GP, and uh, it was a Friday afternoon. She said, "I don't know what to do. I don't." Know. I, I just, she she had she. Had, started me on sleeping pills, which started to help. She started me on a medication that at the time that one wasn't doing as, uh, as much good as it was uh, bad, I think. Um, yeah, but I was yeah. trying to negotiate that, um, for me, a brand new world of, um, uh, of, of, of drugs and uh, SSRI and SNRIs and, uh, for you know, anxiety and depression. And, um, she also said, you know, you, you, you know, you've got to find a therapist. You need someone to speak to. Um, but it was a Friday night and she said, I don't, I don't know what to do. You are suicidal. I'm, I, I'm afraid to send you home, but my other own, only other option is to send you to CAMH and to uh, form you. Uh, but should I think that'd probably be the worst thing I could do, which, which really struck mm. a chord. I thought, oh my goodness, that's our mental health system. And, and it's, and it's you know, right now failing me. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I managed after three kind of, you know, uh, interviews, if you will, with, with therapists, found someone, because I'd never been through that process myself. Yeah. I'd seen it yeah. with my daughters, uh, but I'd never been through it myself. And I found an incredible guy who um, literally his, his uh, after the first session, he said, when you're at the office and you're feeling like a nobody and you're feeling useless, what I want you to do is go into your warehouse and just move boxes. Uh, you know, some, I'm sure sometimes they're not in the right place or the dates are different or something, or, you know, they're dusty, do anything. And, and that was like telling me to put one foot in front of the other. Right. And it was physical. It was um, yes. getting up off the sorry for me couch, the scaredy couch 
as I would call it, and um, and and you know, essentially force my brain to not think about and ruminate, um, but force my brain to think about something even as mundane as moving a box. And that one box led to two to three to a hundred, and and I suddenly realized our warehouse was not in great shape. <laughs> And uh, the business side of you kicked in going, who the hell's been managing this while I've been gone? I know. My goodness. I actually came into a management meeting a few weeks after that. And I I had enough, um, I had enough energy to go do that. And I remember saying, you know, the the warehouse is an absolute mess. And the, and the guy who's in charge of it, you know, I thought he was going to cry. And I thought, my goodness, I gotta, I've got to be careful, you know, how I come back and how I start to reinsert (laughs) myself because that wasn't a good way. He's such a great guy, but you know that that did help us to um, improve how our warehouse and our logistics and our teams work, and we we had to let some guys go very quickly and hire some new people, and and all of that was those were just it was like it was like putting the right size of kindling on the fire at the right time, right? And my brain just yes. needed that. So a yes. combination of of uh, my therapist and um, the, the the right drugs and some better food and sleep and exercise and love and support from all those around me, which never left, but it all came together to, to really keep the fires going and and build a big fire. And uh, man, when it really turned on um, by February, March, April, uh, I was, I was, I was going 20 hours a day working again. Uh, And I shouldn't say again, because for the, with the exception of when we first started the company, but yeah, um, I hadn't operated that way. I don't, I don't, I'm not a workaholic. Trust me, <laughs> but uh, but it, my the brain kicked in and 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 I started to create again. Peter, if there are people listening to this our chat, what would you say to them if they find themselves in any kind of situation that even starts to be similar or feels like it could be similar to what you've just described? And thank you for being so open and sharing that. What would you say to them? Because I think that's an important thing to to reach out and tell people. It's it's a tough thing to give advice for because you know uh, I I thought I was aware of what I needed to do, um, mm-hmm. and I and I think what's really important to, to remember is that we that we do get sick at times um, in all different ways, right? And and mentally sick is no different than any other sickness, and um, it's okay to be uh, sick, and it's okay not to be okay, and knowing that um, and accepting that. Um, hopefully that will lead people to, you know, speak to their GP. And if, they, if their GP isn't giving them the kind of time and the kind of advice and the kind of support, uh, my former GP from four years ago or five years ago, before I switched to this amazing uh, woman, um, uh, would not have helped me. And uh, yeah. I would say, leave, go get some help somewhere else from another doctor. Find a therapist um, that you can relate to and that will give you some good advice and you feel good about Make sure your family and friends know uh, there's nothing wrong. Just, you know, hey, I am suffering here. I am not me. This is not good. I don't. Um, and, and you need to do that early. Um, but, uh, you know, make sure you've got supports around you always. And I just think, you know, I was fortunate enough that I built a community over years um, and they were there for me. I mean, my, my family and my ki- my wife, my kids, my, my brother, my business partner, Chris. Um, you know, I had some incredible angels um, around me. I've got a long list of them. <laughs> and I still do my best to uh, acknowledge and, and remember and thank them. But uh, yeah, I would tell I would tell people just to you know look everywhere, look under the couch uh, yes. for 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 help. Thank you very much for that for being so open. Perhaps that journey led you to your fantastically successful dealcoholized 
beverages, which are getting great acclaim. Perhaps that journey led you to Manly Barrier Apparel. Either one of those uh, tracks that you want to talk about? I'd love to. Um, you know, I, I approached a friend who's been incredibly successful, um, incredibly philanthropic in this country. Uh, and he had recently bought a brewery and um, I, I met with him. He knew I was, he knew I was not in great shape. Um, and I said, I need some help. He says, well, I think I do too, because we're going to launch this new technology, this you know, state-of-the-art new way of dealkalizing beer that we're importing from Europe and we'll be the first ones with it. And it's not boiled beer and it's not, you know, it's not your your your, your dad's or your grandfather's near beer. It's a, a full beer. It's just, a, you know, we pulled out the alcohol molecules with this technique. And, uh, and I, it just, it was one, another one of those, it was the, another angel at the right time with, with an opportunity and a spark that um, got me excited. So um, yeah, we ended up calling it Neil Bros as opposed to Neil Brothers. And uh, we, we threw it, you know, a bit of a, a twist on the already incredible new technology we're bringing. We, 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 we did a grapefruit. So it's, it's got that rattler taste and feel to it we did one with lime and you know we have an incredible product developer who's you know been doing international work for for years and years and years she's highly acclaimed and she's a pal too she's a really good friend and she worked with us on this and and man i think we do, i really think the three of us you know the producer our developer and us yeah i think the three of us uh, really nailed it i'm so proud of it just won a grocery grand prix um award um and uh, we're a finalist we'll know in june hey making the list is like to me i'd be dancing down the aisles already who cares if you win you just this was like getting nominated for an oscar at least i got nominated right for sure yeah no we definitely cracked beers that day uh dl Clyde's beers good for you and that's doing really well because i i, I read somewhere that this is a big deal like 13 percent of the market in europe but yet in north america or maybe just canada it's only like one percent so we get a long way and a big opportunity there for what you're offering. Yes, that's correct. Um, and, you know, we, we see it growing, though. Um, we don't have access to those numbers. But um, I'd say even anecdotally um, or going into the LCBO and seeing, you know, I, I don't know, there's four or five or six now. You didn't see them before. Um, mm -hmm. and, and interesting, fun, new packaging. I mean, there's some great people um here in canada and the u.s that are producing some really interesting you know i think partake's done a great job with they've got a different style of beer than we do but um you know they've been working hard in building their distribution so i it's um yeah, i think people are starting to realize you know we you know I, it's probably not a bad thing to do to cut back and and uh and you know i i'll i always say that you know i, I love to take a break in the evening if i met with friends and you know we're having a few bottles of wine or something um but I, I don't love having a glass of water. Uh, I just find it's kind of kill. it's a buzz yeah. it's a buzz kill. But I can switch. Yeah, I can absolutely. switch to a DL beer, and it feels like uh, uh, the roller coasters continue, and I'm, I'm still having fun with everybody. You're still part of the party. Yeah, absolutely, right. I understand. Now I've got two daughters who don't drink, so um, and they're 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 fun, outgoing, social girls. Um, one of them's in university, and um, she's dad. I just don't like how I get. So she's uh, yeah. she's always got cases uh, i'm happy to supply her for that reason um cases of, of our beer to, she feels like she's having a good time with everybody yeah next month will be my third year anniversary of sobriety holy smokes congrats that's amazing thank yeah, you that's, that's an amazing accomplishment and i haven't told anybody that but i felt like i wanted to tell you because when you talk about being part of or feeling part of the party to me it was 
the ability to be able to put like a Diet Coke, but now we've got your your beautiful products in, in a wine glass. Yay. So that I, I was still part of the party, not sitting in a corner with a glass of water, right? So I know you've got to run to a meeting, my dear, in a few minutes, so I don't want to keep you past the time. Manly Barrier Apparel, can we just, maybe we'll wrap with that? And, yeah, and just sure. what's going on there for you? Um, you know, one of the things that really helped me uh, to get better was uh, I started walking uh, mm. on a regular basis with someone. The gentleman I walked with was the uh, widow of the uh, of our friend who who had uh, succumbed to mental health. So okay. um, the last name was was Manly, uh, and and so we thought, you know, and, and so my friend Paul Manley and I were walking every single night with our dogs, sharing wow. the darkness and 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 but as much as anything, it commiserating in 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 our in our dark, I guess, but also yeah. you know trying to oh gosh, his he's an incredibly funny guy and he'd have me in stitches um and i would like to think we, we had each other laughing a lot um and it was it was so healthy right he started to walk out of his hole i started to walk out of mine yeah and one of the things we talked about i said i always had this idea for this product um and it would be a, a, a pair of you know great fitting great feeling underwear but it would also uh, it would do something uh, functional <laughs> um yes and 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 for, for any man, man who knows the uh, the issue, uh, occasionally happens where you've got the the dreaded P spot, and women have got it all figured out. Um, and 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 I thought, you know, if they can do it, and they've talked about it, and they've shared that amongst themselves, why, as a group of men, have we not shared that that occasionally happens to to some of us? Where, you know, yeah, sure, and it can happen at any age and for any reason. There's there's a whole lot of medical reasons why it happens with with some people. And we thought, you know, why don't we create a great pair of underwear? You wouldn't even feel the difference, but it absorbed that P spot. Um, and and we thought, well, what a better name to call it than Manly, you know? And and, and in honor of uh, uh, of Teresa Manly, Paul's uh, wife, we uh, we call it Manly Barrier Apparel. When I asked the question about it, it, never occurred to me that that was actually a person's last name. I just thought, well, it's Manly. Yeah, M-A-N-L-E-Y. Um, yeah, so Manly Barrier Apparel or Manly Briefs, uh, we hope to launch sometime this summer. And uh, there'll be a, a community built around it of support. There'll be sharing of um, not just men, but uh, those who support their men and the struggles they've been yes. through. Uh, so there'll be yes. that, you know, hopefully the advocacy around and the sharing of mental health. Um, and then there'll be, um, uh, we've decided that we'll direct all of our proceeds in next year to the mental health side of, of Movember. Um, I think Movember do such an amazing job. And yeah, they do. Um, I did it myself last year for the, uh, I did it once before from, for my dad, uh, about six years ago when he was going through prostate cancer and then, um, and came through in flying colors. Um, but I did it this fall for, for me. And for those who are going through mental health. So when, when Movember really started to double down on the mental health side of things, uh, it really struck a chord with me. And I was happy to, to do it and use that platform to help talk about what I'd been through. And that uh, there's hope on the other side. And, and hope is a real thing. In fact, the, the place where Rebecca, my middle girl, went to for 20 months, um, which is a really tough program. Um, you know, right there, as you walked into the facility, it says, uh, hope is a place. Oh, Peter, as we as we wrap, what could the listeners do to support the things that are important to you? That's the thing I wanted to ask. Um, yeah, it's, it's kind, and, and I appreciate you asking it in that manner. Um, but I think I would turn around. And I would say, 
what I think people should do and, and, and need to do more and more is, is, is develop an, an acceptance and understanding that, um, you know, mental health is, 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 is often a temporary thing that mental health mm. is, is a sickness. Um, and people do recover from it. Um, and it's not because someone's weak or anything else. It's, it's a, uh, there's a chemical imbalance. Something happens just like, you know, catching, catching a cold or the flu or getting cancer. Right. Um, yeah. and it needs to be, we need to have a better, uh, far better acceptance and understanding of it so that we can talk about it. Um, and don't be afraid. It's not a taboo topic. Um, you know, how are you doing? Ask, ask people, you know, how are they doing? That would help me if people asked more of the people they talked to and saw, you know, uh, the Genwell project is something that was created by Peter Bombacci who started November originally in Canada. And he's got this, this thing called Genwell project now. And it talks about all that, you know, connect, ask people how they're doing, um, interact with them, uh, connect with people. And because we know um, beyond a doubt now, there's all sorts of great studies that show um, the increased level of mental health, even um, longevity of life uh, through social connection. Um, so, you know, get out, walk with a friend uh, when you can. <laughs> yes. When we're not yeah. in pandemics. And, uh, but yeah, you know what? Think again about mental health. Um, ask those around you how they're doing and uh, do what you can to support those causes. And when my underwear comes out, uh, manly barrier apparel, you could, you could buy a pair. That would be good. <laughs> I will. I'll buy several. Okay. I have a son, I have a husband, and I, I'm always looking for an opportunity for a new gift. And, and now that I know the incredible story behind it, I absolutely will. And we'll promote it like crazy for you. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for being awesome, open, honest, and creative. Thank you again, Peter. Honored. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for listening to Breaking Brave. For updates between episodes, please visit my website, MarilynBarefoot.com. You can also find me at MarilynBarefoot. That's it for today. See you next time.